are entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump in a fiery press conference denies all the deep state claims against him. He throws down because guess what? We also found out some very interesting information about possible coordination with Congressman Adam Schiff. We'll get into that, plus a moment of incredible grace captured on camera during a trial involving manslaughter. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now question, sir, was what did you want President Zelensky to do about Vice President Biden and his son, Hunter? Are you talking to me? Yeah, it was just a follow-up of what I just asked you, sir. Listen, you ready? We have the President of Finland. Ask him a question. I have one for him. I just wanted to follow up on the one that I asked you, which was, what did you want? Did you hear me? Yes, sir. Ask him a question. I I will. I've given you a long answer. Ask this gentleman a question. Don't be rude. No, sir, I don't want to be rude. I just wanted you to have a chance to answer the question that I asked I've you. I've answered everything. It's a whole hoax. And you know who's playing into the hoax? People like you. People like him playing into the hoax. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. President Trump, in rare, in rare form yesterday, even for the president, deciding that he was going to uh, stand up and not just fight, but relish the fight a little bit throw punches, go after people, really decide that he's had enough. You could tell that he's frustrated. You could tell that he no longer wishes to be uh, told that he has to abide by the process as it's been laid out for him, that he has to listen to whatever it is that the uh, mainstream media tells him he has to do. And it wasn't just the press conference yesterday that was a bit of a change in the narrative right now. As we know, the narrative is that the president of the United States did something bad, very bad, on a phone call that a whole lot of people were on and that one almost certainly rabidly anti-Trump partisan thought gave an opportunity to uh, take yet another, another swipe at this president, possibly derail or even end his presidency. The president's having none of, none of it. And when you add to it the revelation yesterday about Adam Schiff, who has been quarterbacking this whole phenomenon from the start. I suppose nobody should really be particularly surprised by any of this. I feel like they probably should understand that Adam Schiff is obviously a hyperpartisan and wants to get rid of this president, does not believe that President Trump should be allowed to stay in office. And so he was part of what seems to be a deep state slash Democrat slash media conspiracy. This isn't surprising. New York Times, though, breaks the story, which is interesting. Schiff got early account of accusations as whistleblower concerns grew. Now, this is interesting on a number of levels, but one that I want to start with is that initially, Shifty Schiff, as he is aptly called, uh, was saying that this did not happen. Initially, Adam Schiff was claiming that there was no early tip-off, that he had not spoken, or he referred to it as we. We have not spoken to the whistleblower. Turns out that's not the case. President Trump uh, recognizes this. 
And I'll get into what his response to Schiff is in just a moment. But now first we have to go to, do we have, uh, Producer Mark, do we have the Schiff lie here somewhere initially where he says we did not speak? Let's let's grab that one. And, oh, yeah. Well, we definitely have Schiff getting defended on MSNBC. Play clip 24. Sam, you spoke to Chairman Schiff last night. I want to read the quote again. That was September 17th. Quote, we have not spoken directly with the whistleblower. How does he explain that when clearly at that point the whistleblower had come to Chairman Schiff's committee? So uh, we talked uh, for a couple minutes last night. He uh, expressed regret uh, for not having uh, been more clear in his wording. Um, What did he he say? He said at the time... When he was saying that, uh, obviously, we now know that they that the whistleblower had approached his staff, but uh, there wasn't 100 percent certainty that the whistleblower who had approached his staff was the same one who was behind the actual complaint. There was a suspicion it was, uh, but there wasn't 100 percent certainty. He also was explaining that. Uh, he was trying to compel the whistleblower to come testify the, before the committee when he was saying that. Uh, but again, he expressed regret uh, for, say, for for what he said on the initial interview with Morning Joe and uh, said he should have been much more clear about it. Uh, I will say this puts him in some in some trouble. Uh, he clearly uh, wasn't being forthright uh, in that interview with us a couple weeks ago, um, and he should have been. Wasn't forthright with us. And he should have been. I, I like that. Notice how when it's a member of Team Democrat, there's a there's a a different kind of language that's used. You know, they'll scream about how Trump has lied 15,000 times, 50,000 times. We did a fact check. Trump has lied 500 million times. But then when you have Adam Schiff straight up looking the media in the eye and the American people in the eye and lying about this. It's, oh, he could have been more clear and he regrets the lack of clarity and maybe he could have done it another way. No, he lied. And it's a very significant lie at that. Why would the whistleblower go to shift before finishing off the process, going through the entire process of the intelligence community inspector general? You know, the process really does matter here, too, because the Democrats tried to make that the initial line of attack do we have the lie where Schiff is at? just so you can hear it i feel like you should hear shifty Schiff himself go for it the essence of what the president communicates we've been very good to your country very good no other country has done as much as we have no no, no. this is not but you this know is what him. this is not i don't lie. see much reciprocity no, 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 no. here well this is a lot of lie. that's when he made up the i tried my best yeah that's all right that's when he made up testimony that didn't actually happen. I'm talking about when he said he had not spoken to the whistleblower. Okay, that's the that's the base. That's a very straightforward lie because he had spoken to the whistleblower. So this is a yes or no thing. It turns out that uh, that was a moment of of shift showing us exact exactly who he is. And it matters because the process was initially part of the assault. They were saying that they tried to stop the whistleblower from uh, getting through that McGuire you know, acting DNI, that he didn't do enough in order to make sure that this was given to Congress fast enough and would delayed it three weeks. And they're complaining about the process. Meanwhile, on the other side of this, when you look at another component of the process, the whistleblower came forward and said, uh, or went, went to Adam Schiff's committee, went to Democrats in Congress and said, hey, just to give you guys a heads up. Now, I think he might have done it through an intermediary or but hey, just to give you guys a heads up, uh, I've got some real stuff on the president here, and I'm worried it's not going to get through the inspector general uh, inspector general process. Why would the whistleblower be worried? And also, 
That's not the whistleblower's call. Then there's the whole other issue of the whistleblower doesn't have jurisdiction to blow a whistle over the president of the United States because a phone call between a president and a foreign head of state is not an intelligence activity. So there's a lot of problems here. But the lie about the process, meaning Adam Schiff saying that he did not get a heads up about this, that was important to the Democrats because what does it look like now? Let's just strip away all the nonsense for a second. What does it look like happened? Well, somebody from within reportedly the CIA saw something or I'm I'm sorry, heard something from someone who saw something in a transcript and decided that this was an opportunity to be a, a hero of the resistance. Is this person an acolyte of John Brennan's? Is this person someone who has been involved in other deep state actions against this president, whether it's leaks or who knows? Also, this pretense that the whistleblower's life will be in jeopardy. If anyone finds out the whistleblower, it's not true. But Schiff's involvement in this from the very beginning and the way that he made sure that this would get through just goes to show you that it was two things. A weak complaint. Remember, the inspector general had to rule on whether it was an urgent concern without seeing the transcript. So it was really just taking the person's word for the initial complaint. And then there was pressure coming from Democrats like Schiff in the House Intelligence Committee saying, hey, this better, you know, we better get this information. You better release this information. So they were trying to subvert in some ways the process. They were trying to uh, escalate the process for obvious political benefit for their own ends. And now they've been caught. So Schiff was involved in this. And this was an effort by Adam Schiff to have a basis for this whole impeachment inquiry. They were looking and looking and looking, and this then became the thing they would latch on to. So there's, as I've been saying, every, cons- every coup starts with a conspiracy. It looks like we have seen the conspiracy here. I know it's a soft coup. No one's saying that they're rolling tanks up to the White House, but it's a soft coup. And also, this wasn't a strong complaint. If it was, you would think that the person bringing it, instead of trying to make sure that he put his hand on the scale to make sure there would be disclosure, would go through the standard process. Why go to Democrats on the Hill and say they're, that this person's worried? They're saying they now, because we don't have to hear or she, that they are worried uh, that this won't make its way through the inspector general process. Why, why that concern? Why that worry? It seems to me very odd indeed. It seems to me to be a very strange decision. So that's what we've got uh, from yesterday. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. We, we know why. Because the person's a partisan. <laughs> it's very obvious why I'm asking the question rhetorically, because the person wants to harm the president of the United States. That's that much is very honest, uh, very obvious. I, I don't see any issue with what was in that transcript. That's part of my problem, I suppose. I don't see it as they keep saying digging for dirt on Biden. This is the phrase they use. He didn't ask for dirt. He asked for an investigation. Well, I think it's a scandal through proper that he channels. knew before. He's allowed to do I that. go a step further. I think he keep probably saying he can't do that, write it. But he's allowed to do that. OK, that's what the word is. And I think it's uh, I give a lot of respect for The New York Times for putting it out. Just happened as I'm walking up here, they handed it to me. And I said to Mike, I said, whoa, that's something. That's big stuff. That's a big story. He knew long before and he helped write it, too. It's a scam. It's a scam. It is a scam. I think that's clear. But the Democrats are all in on it. They're not going to stop just because 
it has become apparent that this was a partisan maneuver all along. Of course, we, we knew. Now we just have the facts. It was clear based on what had occurred. But now we can point to specifics and say, oh, OK, this is why this is the way that they unveiled this latest effort to uh, undo the 2016 election. Um, this is the first time, I think, in a, in a few days that the media has had to just say, well, doesn't matter what we report, I suppose. We're just supposed to be anti-Trump. So here we are. Um, New York Times puts out that Schiff got early warning. If they remember, you know, when Trump gives the uh, New York Times credit here, they broke the story. But if they didn't, somebody else was going to. This was already I think Sean Davis uh, a few days ago had already said that it looked like Schiff got early warning about this based on the timeline. My friend uh, Fred Flights uh, also got word of this or or analyzed, I should say, that that must have been what happened, that there had to be a, a way that Schiff had early warning. And so what this did was it allowed Schiff to pretend that he just wants the process to play out. He doesn't know what's in the whistleblower complaint. He just we just need to find out what's going on here. But he'd already been told. It's like he'd gotten the answers to the test beforehand. And then he sat down to do some algebra two and was like, oh, this is. I don't know if I'll be able to get through this exam. This is very hard. You know, <laughs> he's such a scamster. Shifty Schiff. It's not a surprise. That's where we are. That's the truth of the matter. Um, where does it go from here? Well, I think we've already seen that Democrats can't back off now. They can't back down now. And that means that this is just going to turn into a massive fight in the media. Um, President Trump is just going to continue to call it a uh, a hoax, which is one of his favorite words these days. Let's let's hear from the president. Sixteen, producer Mark. Well, I always cooperate. This is a hoax. This is the greatest hoax. This is just a continuation of what's been playing out for the last uh, since my election. I would say, if you want, and probably we'll find out soon, but probably even before my election. Uh, this is a. Uh, fraudulent crime on the American people, but we'll work together with Shifty Shift and uh, Pelosi and all of them. So, look, we'll cooperate because they're going to go through this process one way or the other. Doesn't mean they're going to do everything the Democrats want them to, but get ready for it, folks. We are we are heading into impeachment season. There's no there's no doubt about that, and there's going to be an impeachment vote, and I'll get into why that is in just a little bit, but they're going to impeach this president. I think we all need to be prepared for that. Uh, they don't care what the facts are, where the facts may lead or any of that stuff. They are go they're planning to impeach the president of the United States. There's nothing that can be done at this point, in my opinion, that would change that. In fact, they're looking at polls and viewing this as a political win already. Paul Krugman, who it's amazing to me that he was considered and I guess still is He's a New York Times editorial columnist guy, an excellent economist, but a, he's a terrible political analyst. And he's already crowing about how it looks like the Democrats have picked up a big win here by going after uh, going after Trump on impeachment. I, I doubt that that will, in fact, be the case in the end. But we will we will see how it all plays out. Um, but there are important reasons. And I will get into that in a moment. There's actually a very good piece that I think lays out that impeachment is about more than even just Trump hatred. There's a whole nother layer to this that we should explore, and it has to do more with the establishment and the political class and elite consensus than most folks would assume. I mean, Trump hatred is the, the tip of the spear, but behind that, there's a whole lot more.
um, I have to wonder at what point more Americans will see this for what it is, which is a backlash about the 2016 election. And really, that will never change no matter what evidence they find, no matter what Trump says about anything. Um, oh, we also have some time today to speak about how the Biden phenomenon's not going away. Democrats, you know, they took this shot. They decided that they were going to use this as the the spur to impeachment. They took this shot and yet, huh, now they've got problems because Joe Biden himself has a history here that will be further scrutinized, Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. And whether it's illegal or not requires investigation, but whether it is disgraceful or not is already established. It's gross. And there's not just the Ukraine issue. There's also China that can be factored into all of this. China is a component of the latest allegations. It's, it looks bad, too. And you break down what happened here with Hunter Biden. So we'll talk more about that. And, and later on in the show, we'll also have some uh, uh, a moment to look at what can happen when someone decides to extend incredible grace to a person who has done a terrible wrong. Um, that's just a, a preview of what we'll be looking at together. But when I come back, I really do want to take a moment to look into the realities of the broad narrative of anti-Trumpism from the establishment, not just the Democrats. And if you're hearing some weird siren in the background, apparently we're in the midst of a fire alarm test here. <laughs> but it's, it's radio, so we're just going to roll with it. And uh, we'll be back in just a moment. So why does the left, the Democrats, the media, why do they want to impeach Trump so badly? Trump to them is a vile creature. They think that he's uncouth. He's barbarous. Whenever I hear that word, I always think of this is barbarous. And then he goes, no, this is Sparta. Remember that? It's amazing. 300 is a great movie. Great movie. I watch it anytime. Um, but they think that Trump is barbarous and that he is not Sparta. And they absolutely hate him for many, many reasons that are both substance and style based. Mostly on style, though, I think, which is uh, to the elites, to the establishment class. That's a sin that is unpardonable to, to be as gauche, as meretricious. It's like we're doing an SAT word prep now uh, as Trump is. That's just unacceptable to them. So then we move on to why? What is really going on here? There is a fantastic piece in The Spectator, Spectator USA, which I actually think I just met somebody from The Spectator at, a, at an event a week ago, and they asked me if I wanted to write. So maybe I'll have to write for them since I think this piece is so good. Impeachment is regime suicide. The ruling class still believes in a consensus that doesn't exist. Their legitimacy is vanishing. Now, I will walk you through a little bit, some of this, not all of it, because we don't have the time, uh, but it is an excellent, excellent piece. And in it, Daniel McCarthy takes you through the previous, uh, the previous impeachment moments. Now, of course, you've had a number of people already fall into that, fall into that bear trap of, well, when Nixon was impeached, Nixon wasn't impeached, everybody, Nixon resigned. Nixon knew that he was uh, he was donezo, as the kids say. So he resigned. But you have a lot of people. Oh, well, Nixon was impeached. Maybe they can get David Gergen because he loves, you know, hey, David Gergen, what do you think about the economy? Oh, Nixon, Reagan, resigning. 
he'll he's the CNN he's the CNN uh, you know senior statesman over there for all political analysis. And whether we're talking about the Fed rate or counterterrorism, he'll work in some reference to oh, Nixon Ford administration. I remember it was really difficult with Nixon and Reagan Ford. So now he at least is going to be talking about what people are asking about, which is the era of Nixon and then, of course, the Clinton impeachment. But back to this Daniel McCarthy piece about impeachment as regime suicide uh, and really a, a uh, an effort by the regime to not just undo the 2016 election, but undo the idea behind it that many of the centers of power in this country are not nearly as legitimate as they like to pretend that elite media is a fraud. Elite university system, as we know in many ways, can be schemed and gamed. It's not this meritocracy that is just providing us with the best and brightest in the future. Uh, That corporate America, there's a lot of buying of political influence. Incumbents always squeezing out, crushing their rivals, using the state to do it. Remember, big business and big government like each other. And the cult of government expertise coming under probably greater pressure and threat than at any point before. So those are all real dynamics that Trump very much played into in the last election, uh, that Trump was in many ways a messenger for. And that's why this piece by uh, by Mac- uh, I keep wanting to say, yes, McCarthy. I always think of our friend Andy McCarthy, but this is Daniel McCarthy. But he looks at at impeachment in the past and and just also moments of real political crisis. And there was something of a national consensus, meaning the consensus after Nixon stepped down was or when Nixon was about to resign and step down was that that was the right thing to do. And while Ford lost in the next election, he didn't lose by a lot to Jimmy Carter. And it was not the end of the Republican Party because the the feeling at the time was that Nixon was that the correct move was for him to stand, uh, step down. And then, of course, Ford, as vice president, became the president. Then he had to run against Carter. But Clinton, in 1998, the impeachment against him, the nation felt like maybe that wasn't worth it. And that was considered to be a mistake. But that was still a consensus, a consensus in a different direction and involving a, different, a member of a different party. But there was a, a general national feeling of this is more or less what should happen here. There was not some huge outcry that, oh, Bill Clinton, he must be removed by the Senate. I mean, people felt that way, but that wasn't as much as you can describe a consensus, which is a, a feeling about mass opinion. That's what was going on. But then McCarthy goes into how this is not a moment of consensus at all. This is the elites deciding that they determine national consensus, even when it does not exist. And that they are never going to accept Trump, not because of his policies or even his personality, but because he is a challenge to who they are, to their position in society. And I've been saying that to you for a long time. This is most apparent, perhaps, with some of the journalists out there who have completely lost their minds, including Republican or GOP leaning or conservative leaning journalists of the never Trump kind. Who have just never accepted. I mean, they, they say they're never Trump, but really they're just never facing the reality of they're not going to have the access they thought they were. Uh, their ideas are not going to be heralded. They're not going to be invited to all the fancy parties, which are real, as I keep telling you. I've, 
The Georgetown cocktail parties, oh, it's a cliche. Yeah, because there's so many of them. I was just down there. The swamp is swampy, trust me. But the regime now is trying to assert itself. That's the elite media. You see this MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, all these different media outlets. They are, without question, devoted to the destruction of the Trump presidency in a way that exceeds anything that we've seen in the past with Republican administrations. They, they didn't like Bush and they called him stupid, but they didn't really think that they were going to be able to get rid of him before the election. But I brought up with you yesterday that if the elites, if elite consensus as led by Pelosi and Schumer and you know Anderson Cooper and Rachel Maddow and uh, the Dean Baquet at the New York Times and all these other folks, if elite consensus opinion uh, was really about respecting our institutions, they often talk about protecting our democracy, respecting our institutions, then of course they would just focus on the 2020 election because the only true repudiation of Trump as a politician is going to come through a defeat at the ballot box. But that's not really their purpose. In fact, they don't care much at all about the underlying institutions of this country. What they care about is that those institutions belong to them, that they are in control of the uh, elite apparatus of power in America, or just the apparatus of power, period, you could say. And Trump is a threat to that. Trump's message, as uh, McCarthy writes when he came in, was um, it was boiled down to, quote, they screwed you. They being the Bushes, the Clintons, the establishment in both parties, the warmongers, the trade deal architects, the communist Chinese, free riding allies and more. That really resonated with people because there certainly has been a sense, especially when you look at all those issues that not only have the elites managed to become fabulously wealthy during a period where now I'm going to sound a little Bernie Sanders-esque for a second here, but where wealth disparity is more apparent than it had been in the past, where the consolidation of wealth for really the 0.01% is galloping away from the rest of society. So the free traders and the people that have been pushing along these mantras, both on the business end of things and then using their mouthpieces in the media and paying for the think tanks and, oh, just free trade. Free trade was... This thing that you could say that would never be challenged, it was just considered a good in and of itself, almost like diversity. Someone just has to say that they had an interest in diversity. And if you were to question that, what's wrong with you? Why don't you like diversity? Well, what does diversity mean? And how do we achieve it? And what are the trade-offs? And oh, no, no, no. You're either on board for diversity or not. Same with free trade. It used to be, uh, and this was among conservatives. This is on the right. You had to say, well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm for free trade. And if you weren't for that, you were... Uh, you were a, a troglodyte. You, know, you were stuck in the past. You were not somebody who understood economics. And Oh, but then all of a sudden Trump comes along, says China's been ripping us off. You start looking at trade deals, including the uh, NAFTA trade deal, including what's going on with China. And we are getting ripped off. That's a fact. There are bad things that are happening in U.S.-China trade that no one has done anything about for years and years. Why does it take Trump coming along to tell us that? Well, a lot of people that were making decisions in the upper echelons of power in this country who, while China was getting away with all kinds of theft and exploitation, while that was happening, they were getting very rich. They didn't much care. They liked the status quo. And Trump came in, and he's not, 
he's not some deep political theorist. I've never made that claim and I never would. But he has a gut understanding, a visceral understanding of just what's really going on here. And McCarthy points that out. But then why this push for impeachment? Well, quote, Trump's enemies are not just the left. They are the ancien regime. Anyone who supports the political and economic dispensation of the post-Cold War era is apt to feel threatened by Trump and even more menaced by what stands behind, uh, behind him. A growing anti-consensus, a force that declares every center of power in this country illegitimate and antithetical to the well-being of the people. Um, and yet, the ancien regime assumes that deep down, for all that Republicans are racist and deplorable, they still love the regime and they will support it over Trump. They haven't yet given up on this idea at all. That's why that's why impeachment is a process that you are seeing underway. Yes, it is harnessing the rage, the animosity of the left, the sense that Hillary should have been corrugated, the sense that she was going to be the next president. There's all of that. There's no question. And they absolutely despise Trump. But there's something broader. Mitt Romney, for example. What is Mitt Romney doing in all of this? He has to know that he's being helpful to the ideological enemies of all that he says he stood for, at least in the 2012 election. Why is he always making trouble for Trump? Does he really think he's going to change his behavior or help out? When you look at the establishment media, this is beyond just they disagree with. They are on a search and destroy mission for this president. Why do you think that is? Well, because he's the first president who's ever come along and said, oh, no, guys, I'm not just going to ask you to be fair to me. I'm going to point out that you are frauds. That you and the journalistic establishment in this country are absolutely partisans, activists, people who are taking a side of this and engaged in an endless stream of propaganda, in part driven by the brainwashing of an audience to the center left that will always think that whatever they see that fits into that mentality is the is actual news, the real news. Anything that challenges that must be coming from some right wing blog somewhere. But then also because those are the proclivities of the journalists, of the people in the newsrooms, the senior editors, editors in chief, owners of these publications, the Bezoses, And I mean, just just think of of all these major media publications, who owns them, who's paying for them. Incredibly wealthy liberals. They want to see their ideas reflected back to them in this. And they don't like someone coming along who has a megaphone that is as big, if not bigger than theirs and saying, these are lies. That the establishment of this country is not composed of the best, the smartest, the most hardworking, the most amazing. They're not looking out for the little guy. They're not all about the rule of law. In fact, there's different laws for different people, depending on how wealthy and connected you are. That's a reality now in this country. He writes, impeachment is a regime counterattack against a man elected to bring about change. And while impeachment is certainly constitutional... It is an elite procedure, not a democratic one. The prestige media has passed the first judgment on whether it's warranted in this case. It is, they say. Democratic House will investigate and then, inevitably, they will move forward with the vote. He goes on. The old saying is that if you strike at a king, be sure to kill him. In this case, the regime is striking not at a king, but at the very idea that an elected official can challenge the establishment. This risks revealing just how weak the country's ruling class really is. If 40% of the country remains with Trump, despite the ordeal of impeachment, 
That will show that 40% is anti-regime and revolutions are made with less. That 40% would be a floor, not a ceiling. This is the last gasp of a ruling order, or perhaps the last lashing out of a ruling order, that views Trump as an existential threat to all that they hold dear and important. That is why the evidence does not matter. What Schiff is saying is all just for show. What the Mueller report did or did not say does not really matter. They have to destroy Trump. It's not enough to beat him at the ballot box. They must impeach him. They must asterisk him. They must black mark him for all of history as a message to anybody who'd come along down the line. If you cross us, it doesn't matter if you win. You will eventually lose because we will harness all the power that we, the establishment, have left. and We will destroy you. That's why we're heading toward impeachment. It's driven not by the will of the people, but by the will of the elites who despise Trump and feel that he's a threat to everything they hold dear. Okay, I think I've answered most of your questions. What well, do you think? Yes? Media here. Finland is the happiest country in the world. Finland is a happy what, country. What can you learn? What can you learn from Finland? Uh, well, if you got rid of Pelosi and you Finland got rid of Shifty Schiff. Finland is a happy country. He's a happy leader, too. <laughs> There was a funny moment yesterday where uh, apparently Trump, I saw the video of it, kind of tapped the Finnish president on the knee and everyone said that that seemed a little, uh, it seemed like the (laughs) Finnish president didn't much appreciate that. Uh, Finland does usually get the highest marks when they do these studies of of happiest countries in the world. Finland does do, does do very well. it was just it was a funny funny day yesterday at the press because Trump was he was in rare form and one second he's saying, All right, give the Finnish president a question. Then he goes, I don't know, I like that question. He was jumping in and you can tell the Finnish president was kinda like, But that question is for me. And uh Trump was like, Yeah, it's for me now. So, you know, Trump is he sometimes is the kid in the sandbox in the playground who wants all he wants all the toys. I think that's true. He doesn't always like to share the toys. But it was quite a press conference yesterday. Um, And the way that he went after the Bidens, by the way, um, this is going to raise some interesting questions for Democrats. They can talk about how what Trump did on the phone call wasn't illegal. And they keep saying that it's unethical, so he should be impeached. Okay, what the Bidens have done may not be illegal, though we haven't really had a good investigation of it yet. It definitely is unethical. And are they just going to cover up for this like they did with Hillary? I think the answer is, well... We will have to see. But let's dive a little deeper, my friends, into the Biden corruption situation. Ask a question, please. Thank you, sir. Mr. About, about Mr. Biden. What did you want about Biden? What did you want to look into on Biden? Look, Biden and his son are stone cold crooked. And you know it. His son walks out with millions of dollars. The kid knows nothing. You know it. And so do we. Go ahead. Ask a question. That was one of the best moments yesterday at the uh, press conference, and it dealt with the Biden phenomenon, which we are being told by the elite media, by the Democrat media. I, calling them elite is a little, they're really, it, maybe the smug media would be a better way to refer to them. The, uh, the self-satisfied, dominant liberal left media. Uh, but the point about Biden and corruption is one that sticks. The point about Biden and corruption makes sense. Because guess what? You don't go to Ukraine. And now I'm saying it. I had been saying 50000 a month. It went as high. I think it varied month to month as $83,000 a month. So Biden's son, Hunter Biden's getting a lot of money 
while his dad is the point man on foreign policy for a country that desperately needs U.S. aid and the benefit of U.S. assistance. So I, I do think that as we look at this now, we have to start asking ourselves, hmm, when is it a little bit too much? When are they asking us? I, I think they already have asked us to swallow what we refuse to in terms of this story. It's absurd. And that's why Trump calling out the crookedness here, I think, really matters because they're making the phone call, the whistleblower phone call about what's ethical, about what's right. They're not saying that Trump necessarily broke the law. They tried that for a couple of days, but the campaign finance thing is that's just a non-starter. If it's a campaign finance violation, as I was saying to you from the beginning, for the president to ask a foreign counterpart to do something that's within the president's power to do because it will benefit the president as well as be something that he's allowed to ask for. That could be said of, of any policy decision. Oh, well, they got a trade deal. So when the president asks, hey, I really need a favor here. We need to get this trade deal signed. That's helping his campaign. It's just idiocy. It, it doesn't work. It won't hold water. No, nobody could really believe this stuff. Just would not, would not stand, right? So they had to aban- abandon the criminal component of this. And then they had to look at the ethical side of it. Now, Democrats, the same Democrats who told us that Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, the Clinton Foundation, we raised a lot of money for a lot of people. You know, we did like all the stuff all over the world, man. It was crazy. We were on a private jet and flying around, stopping climate change and empowering women. Uh, The Clinton Foundation, we were told, was all about charity. And then we found out that it was about charity, except until after Hillary wasn't going to be president anymore. And then people were like, I'm not sure I'm going to give money to this. Which is so strange, because wouldn't Hillary have more time to run that charity? Wouldn't she be able to focus on her charitable endeavors, not be distracted by running for office? Use all of her Rolodex and her connections for good. Yeah, you can hear Hillary cackling, That's because that's what she really wants to do. Hillary really cares about the little guy. She really wants to help people. Uh, Her whole career has been about just helping people, not advancing herself in maniacal fashion. Uh, But then the Biden situation comes up here. Um, And they're telling us, oh, well, there's nothing illegal. There's nothing illegal about Biden. And there was an investigation and the investigation didn't bring charges. So we should shut this whole thing down now or shut the whole discussion down, which I say Ukraine is one of the more corrupt places in the world. We're really to believe that. Ukraine is on the up and up here that this investigation, you do have Shokin now, the prosecutor that Biden fired and said, I'm going to cut a billion dollars of aid unless you fire that. So that is a quid pro quo. That, that is a straight up a quid pro quo. Now, it is within Biden's realm as foreign as a foreign policy envoy of the Obama administration to make that kind of quid pro quo, but not if it's not if it's for the benefit of his son, then you do have a straight up corruption case. If you can prove that, right? If you can prove that it was for the son, but that's going to be difficult to prove. You do have a lot of people running around saying that Shokin was a bad guy. Everybody knew he was a bad guy, but we are being led to believe by the Dems here, by the libs that the investigation of Burisma, the natural gas company that Hunter Biden was on the board of making 50 to 80 some odd thousand dollars a month. We're being led to believe that, oh, well, that's, Uh, that was a very, a thorough and most excellent investigation. And there's no need to look back at it anymore. The same Democrats who had a special counsel for over two years 
and now are calling witnesses and using subpoenas and dragging people who have already gone through the special counsel process in front of them as if they're going to find out more than Mueller and all of his anti-Trump witch hunt experts. Does anyone think that that's fair minded? Of course not. But this, no, this has never been about fair. And people who think it's fair have just been brainwashed and want to believe that. And therefore, they allow themselves to suspend all critical faculties and skip, skip beyond the obvious situation here of this is an effort to destroy the president. Right. That's what this is. Everything else has to be fit into that basic understanding, that basic narrative. Uh, and Hunter Biden and Joe Biden have become collateral damage in the whistleblower's attempt to use a conversation about about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden uh, to destroy the president. So they weren't expecting that this would be. And keep in mind, they also sometimes make strategic errors. I think people say, well, the Democrats, they wouldn't do this. They wouldn't be foolish and put Biden, uh, the Bidens in the spotlight in a way that could be problematic for the Democratic frontrunner. No, Democrats make all kinds of stupid buffoonish errors. And I think it's quite possible that this is one of them. They figured, well, it'll be more important to get out that there's this whistleblower and they'll start the impeachment proceeding and they'll just ignore all the counterfactuals. They're, they'll ignore the lack of, of any integrity about whether what the Bidens did here was acceptable. Whether this should be, should this guy be the next president of the United States based on what went on with his son? You could say the answer is no, pretty clearly. And now China is going to be a part of this discussion as well. It's not just Ukraine. That was part of the uh, part of the shift today in where this fight is going. Now, for those who don't know, as, as a quick review, uh, Hunter Biden traveled on Air Force Two back during the Obama administration. He traveled on Air Force Two and uh, introduced Joe Biden, the vice president at the time, his dad, to a bunch of Chinese government officials. And it was the Chinese government that gave him, Hunter Biden, over a billion dollars of assets to manage. This was written about by Peter Schweitzer in his book, um, not Invisible Empires, is it Invisible Empires? Something like that. But that is what happened here. There was a pay, there was a, a, a huge payout for Hunter Biden while traveling to China on dad's jet, which is the taxpayer jet, U.S. government jet, known as Air Force Two for the vice president. And then all of a sudden, Hunter Biden gets a huge sum of money from the Chinese government. We're, we're supposed to think that there's there's no connection there. Who's giving this guy a billion dollars, my friends? Who thinks that, you know, Hunter Biden's really got a lock on the next great investment idea or that someone who very rapidly washed out of being a public affairs officer as a commissioned naval officer that he only got because of his dad in the first place for I can't remember if it was crack cocaine or cocaine use, but one or the other. Yeah, that, that that guy's the one you're just going to hand a billion dollars to. Now, we could get into this discussion about whether it should be illegal. Um, that's fine. Even if it is entirely, even if there's nothing you could say that is explicitly illegal about what was going on with the Bidens. And I suppose that there are some will take that position about the Clinton Foundation. It's just filthy dirty. We know that this is selling access. We know that this is leveraging one's familial position and the and the, using the full power and backing of the United States government as a backdrop for private business transactions that would not have happened without this. No, there's no question about that. Would not have happened 
unless his dad was the vice president. So now what do the Democrats do? Well, they've got a choice to make. And we've got the Democrat debate coming up. See, my favorite Democrat, Tulsi Gabbard, is in fact going to be on the stage. So there we go. She's, she's made it. Uh, we'll talk more about the Democrats in a few moments. But now that we're looking at what the future is going to be for that primary, Joe Biden can either stay and the Joe Biden mantra or the, the anti-Joe Biden narrative is going to be at least in part that Hillary had her emails and Joe has his son's nepotism and all this other stuff, right? So there's that. And then on the other side, you could have Joe Biden step down, but then that's in a sense an admission, an admission that there was in fact um, something going on here. That this was this was bad. And so that will then leave quite a bad taste in the mouths of uh, voters who have been told by the media all along, oh, there's nothing to see here. There's no problem. There's nothing. There's no worry. Well, I, I tend to uh, I tend to disagree, my friends. I think there's a lot to see here. I think there's a lot for the Democrats to be concerned about. Um, we shall see if. They decide that Biden is too much of a liability. So far, the polls have remained steady. They really believe that he is their best hope, which is why you've had just the, the stupefying expression on the faces of so many of these uh, Democrats out there uh, in the media in particular who are saying, oh, 50,000, 80,000 a month for 100. Nah, no big deal. Was it illegal? Did you do anything wrong? Why was there no charges brought? Nah, no big deal. Just like the set of Hillary's emails. Nah, no big deal. The same people that tell us that you know, if Trump says that he's the greatest president ever, he's a liar and basically worse than Hitler because, of course, he's not the greatest president ever. Trump derangement syndrome is real. It's just a question of how, how bad the diagnosis is for any one member of the Democratic Party, any one news outlet individual. Trump derangement syndrome, unfortunately, has spread far and wide across the land, my friends. Um, we have uh, more to talk about with Secretary of State Pompeo fighting back against the bullying of his State Department. Time to get into that. Uh, where I think all of this is going uh, with the Democrat impeachment effort and what I see happening there. Democrats want to take your guns. That's not a surprise. Maybe we'll have some time for that. And then a toward the end of the show, we'll get into a more inspiring moment in a, in a very difficult circumstance. Someone showed us all that uh, forgiveness and grace can exist even in the most um, in the most trying of situations. So we have that and we have oh so much more team coming up here on the Buck Sexton Show. I don't care how much money you spend, Mr. President, or how dirty the attacks get. Trump knows there are no truth in the charges against me. None. Zero. Every independent news organization that has reviewed the charges at length has found it to be a flat-out lie, his assertions. Every single one of them. Now, let me make something clear to Mr. Trump and his hatchet men and the special interest funding his attacks against me. I'm not going anywhere. You're not going to destroy me, and you're not going to destroy my family. Well, I guess Joe Biden's pretty definitive right now on how he's not going to get out of this thing. He's not going to change his mind and decide that uh, there's another Democrat who should be at the top of the field and 
Joe Biden can go spend his time on the vineyard and fly fishing and hanging out. He's got other plans, folks. He wants to stick it out. At least that's what he says right now. I am not sure that that is going to uh, going to hold. Um, but the discrediting of the investigation is such an interesting thing to see play out because we've known it would be coming for quite a while. Um, it's been very, very obvious to anyone who's been paying attention that they can't allow the attorney general, the current attorney general, Durham, the U.S. attorney in Connecticut, to finish their investigation and present findings about Russia collusion origins, FISA abuse, and essentially the the international dirty tricks scheme that was used to try to destroy the Trump, to first stop Trump from winning the election and then destroy the Trump presidency right after. If we find out what really happened there, that could be devastating to Democrats. And their worst fear of Trump getting handily reelected in 2020, in part because of the truth of those revelations coming out, that could very well be where this all goes. But yeah, Joe Biden says that he's, uh, he's going to stay in it. He says that he is going to fight this thing all the way to the very end. By the way, we mentioned before how Schiff lies. You know who else is a very dishonest character in all this? Nancy Pelosi. All right. Nancy Pelosi is someone that she's remarkable in what she's been able to do in politics for someone that, you know, you look, you hear, you think, why? How has she been really the most powerful Democrat, uh, female Democrat in the Democratic Party in my lifetime? Well, one thing is that she never breaks ranks. She there's no stumbling over integrity. There's no issue with, well, that's a lie and my party's peddling a lie. So I'm going to go against it. And here's a perfect example of that. Here's Pelosi talking about remember when Schiff did the whole, hey, I'm a mafia boss. I'm ordering the assassination of a million people. I'm making stuff up as I'm talking about things. But I'm pretending that this is what Trump said. Right. Remember that thing when he just was speaking crazy talk? Pelosi is saying that that was actually what the president was saying. Play 25. I know you support Chairman Schiff, but was it right for him to have that dramatic interpretation of the president's uh, transfer of the phone call at the hearing last week? I want the American people to know what that phone call was about. I want them to hear it. So, yeah, it's fair. It's sad. But it's using the president's own words. So if he's... Well, those weren't the president's words. It was an interpretation of the president's words. Just saying he made this up. He did not make it up. Nancy Pelosi there, folks, sitting with George Stephanopoulos, who is doing the the bare minimum pushback there of, well, I mean, that's not entirely true because it's not true. Use the president's own words. No, he didn't. He did not use the president's own words. That is not what happened there. Okay, so why is Nancy Pelosi then able to get away with saying that it is? Why aren't people running around saying Nancy Pelosi is a liar? See, that term to label somebody in politics a liar, it's very, uh, very powerful. It's very effective for one side of the aisle. The other side somehow always doesn't get the same doesn't get the same benefit. Pelosi was lying there. She was clearly lying. And that's because the underlying substance of the charge against Trump here is weak. The substance is weak. And because they released the transcript and because they understood what this effort was all about early on and handled it better than I think the Trump administration would have in the past, the process argument also very quickly fell apart. So now what do you have? Well, just 
the very straightforward proposition that the Democrats are going to impeach this president because they're going to impeach this president. Nothing else really matters. Nothing is going to be allowed to get in the way of it. And that is where we are. That is how this is going to shake out. So we shall see. Uh, we shall see whether or not that has an enormous backfire, which I really hope that it does. I think it's quite possible that it will. But I'm not somebody who thinks that this inquiry is, oh, they're dipping a toe in the pool and they're not sure if they're going to go. They're going to have to go in. Imagine the, the, the fury and the, just the noise. And I mean the literal noise from all the protesters and the loons and the, and the, you know, the Capitol Hill will be turned into an insane asylum by all the Democrat donors running around with crazy costumes on, some of them profane costumes at that, and saying that Nancy Pelosi and the rest of the Democrats have sold out on this. So they're going to have to impeach the president. They're going to have to impeach him. This is what, And this is just going to hurt the country. It's going to divide us even more. It is nothing but spite. Do you understand the motive? I, I don't. And I'm supposedly going to be interviewed by Mr. Durham um, as part of this non-investigation. I remember William Barr, you know, when he was testifying in front of Congress, he said he, he didn't understand the predication of the counterintelligence investigation that was launched into Russia's interference in the 2016 election. I don't understand the predication of this worldwide effort to try to uncover dirt, either real or imagined, that would discredit that investigation in 2016 into, into Russian interference. You know, on one hand, the Obama administration is crucified for not doing enough. Mm -hmm. And now they're looking for what we might have done in order to try to understand better and to prevent the Russian interference. And I do agree. It's not just that Trump doesn't care about Russian interference. I think he is hoping that he's going to get it because he knows that Russia interfered on his behalf. And I think as he sees his political fortunes dwindling, I think he really is hoping that his pal Vladimir is going to come through once again and help him get elected in 2020 if he's going to be in office by then. And former CIA director John Brennan has single-handedly trashed the brand of the organization that I once worked for and actually have very many fond memories of. Brennan is just trashing the CIA. He doesn't view it that way, of course. He thinks he's being some kind of patriot, including when he runs around and says... That, you know, Trump is a traitor or tantamount to treason. He's, he said some of the more insane things of anyone. I mean, he is a true hashtag resistance Trump hater. And the fact that he was CIA director under Obama should remember what I was talking about in the beginning of the show with the elites and how they're not as impressive as they want us to think they are. And a lot of them can uh, wield power and have consolidated power under the premise that they know what they're doing and we can trust them. And. The more you learn about them, the more you find out, nope, a lot of them are just playing the game, sucking up to the elite, sucking up to the establishment as they need to in order to get into the positions of authority that then allow them to wield that power over all the rest of us and enrich themselves in the process. Why is Brennan so concerned, though, about the investigation? When did investigating become bad? We've been told for three years now, oh, why are you trying to stop the truth from getting out about Trump? We would say, okay, you're right, fine. When did investigating become a problem? I'm just curious. I would, I would like to know at what point in this process, at what phase in all of this, more information, more facts about Russia collusion, Russia interference in 2016. What happened with the crowd strike? Why didn't the FBI do its own investigation of the server that the DNC claimed was hacked? And that's where the emails came from that showed what we already knew, which is that the DNC was completely in the tank for Hillary at the expense of Bernie Sanders. That's really all it showed us. Why is that such a problem? 
Ah, because they want their guy, you see, the Democrats, the left, they want their person in charge of this. And putting someone else in that role that they cannot trust to approach every aspect of the investigation with an anti-Trump lens, really more of an anti-Trump ferocity, and to make decisions within the discretion of the investigator that will always favor one side. is That's part of the problem here, folks, is that we see that discretion from the powerful is abused in ways that always goes one way. And it goes toward the establishment, toward the elites, the Democrat left. It is used against conservatives in the right in ways that you just look at if if I'm missing something, show me the conservative who has broken all kinds of laws and gotten away with it all. Oh, well, they would say Donald Trump. Really? What is the I, I sit here and I ask, what is the law that he has actually broken? And they'll throw out a bunch of things at me to which I would say he has not broken any of those laws. He just has it. The emoluments clause. Someone from the Japanese embassy had a cheeseburger at Trump Hotel. Oh, no. Trump is selling us out to the Japanese embassy. That man didn't just get a cheeseburger. He got bacon on it. Damn it. That's $3 extra. And I used to go to the Trump Hotel a fair amount, actually. So I guess I've also bought Trump's foreign policy. You know what the best thing there is, producer Mark? It was amazing. They had these bacon strips. They're fam- Everyone always takes photos of them. It's like a touristy thing to do. You go to the Trump Hotel in D.C. They have these bacon strips and then... They take a blowtorch out and they blowtorch the bacon. It's already cooked a bit, but they, they sear it right in front of you. And it's, and it's a, a maple glaze on it. That sounds delicious. Yeah. I'm telling you, if you go down there, man, it's you worth the- sliced bacon too? Super thick. Oh. Yeah. You could, right. you could slap somebody and knock them out with those bacons. That, that's what I like to hear. Yeah. Hmm. I, guess, I guess bacon is plural, so I didn't mean bacons. <laughs> Look at me. I got so excited, I forgot the English. How many bacons do you want? I'm, hey, how many bacons do you want? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grill it. I'm going to flame- flamethrower it it looks like a little flamethrower but i'm sure they've had some interesting accidents in the past there so yeah i i think uh that i own trump's foreign policy though because i have eaten at the trump hotel that's good that's good to know good thing to do and uh, john brennan doesn't want us to find out more about what happened in 2016 because here's here's a prediction john brennan's not gonna look good in the investigation of russia collusion origins he's not gonna look good in that and here's another prediction the more we find out to bring it to the current, the current moment with uh, Schiff and all the rest of it, the more we find out about both the whistleblower and the behind the scenes of getting this complaint through and, and weaponizing against Trump, it, it will be so clear that this is, it's the Blasey Ford playbook. Go to partisan Democrats and enlist their assistance, enlist their help in finding a way to, you know, shut this thing down and, uh, or, or rather attack somebody in an effort to shut down the presidency. And that's it. That's all you really have to do. You don't have to worry much about the facts or anything else. So uh, Brennan's a guy that should, he's got concerns. I can tell you that much. And so does McCabe, who's been referred for a prosecution based on the inspector general of the DOJ report. So our side gets to investigate too, folks. This is what, this is what they've never understood. They will never accept. Our side gets to investigate as well. For example, If it's acceptable to start an investigation based on what George Papadopoulos says to a dude at a bar, based on what he heard from another dude somewhere else, and the FBI spins up a full field investigation based on that, I think Hunter Biden getting 50 to 80 grand a month while his dad's running foreign policy in a country for the Obama administration, when Hunter Biden is clearly unqualified for those funds and has no idea what he's talking about, I I think that this is all, yeah. 
a conversation that we get to have about the investigation, about how we should go forward and look more into this. Oh, and I've got a, a fantastic moment here, by the way, from the, uh, the Trump Twitter yesterday. So we can't play it. We can't play the Trump tweet for you because there, it involves copyrighted music. Wait, do we? are you saying we can play it? No, no, we cannot. Yeah, we can't. We can play like three seconds. No, no, no that's all right. Why I can just you do sing it. it Buck? I was going to say, look at this photograph. Yeah, we're good with that. I got a scratchy voice. I'm from Canada. I don't think Nickelback would want to claim copyright on that. Yeah. Look at this photograph. I'm Nickelback. I'm, you know, it's, yeah, it's not really, I'm not really sounding that much like them, but I'm trying. Look, you know, Nickelback is the poor man's creed. So I think that that's, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think that's pretty true. Yeah. So. People who say they hate Creed are also just lying. They're just lying. Creed the movie is good, by the way, but Creed the band had some great stuff back in the day. They were a 90s, a 90s phenomenon. Uh, so, and I think Scott Stapp is a conservative. Am I, am I right in thinking that? So he gets extra, point, extra points. I don't uh, know people's political affiliations, yeah. but come on, we, we've yeah. gone over this. I did see Stacey, Stacey uh, Dash got arrested earlier this week. That made me sad. I like, she'll always be Dion from Clueless for me. So do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Well, here's what happened for those who are curious. Yesterday, you had uh, the president of the United States to his 65 million, that's right, 65 million Twitter followers. He tweeted out, and it was amazing. And if you haven't seen it, I I hope that someone's grabbed, because now they've pulled down the music, a photo of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Who, they've now had to uh, look back at the, oh, we've never talked about this, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden with a uh, Burisma executive playing golf. So that seems that seems noteworthy, doesn't it? Oh, so you just play golf with the guy, but like you guys, uh, see this folks is where this, oh, where's the smoking gun evidence? Oh, please. They had conversations about this. Of course they did. And they were smart enough not to put in an email. Hey, give my son a lot of money. And I'll help you guys out when you need it at Burisma. Like, they're not that stupid. I mean, even Joe Biden's not that dumb. But this photograph comes out after Joe Biden has said that there's nothing, there's nothing to be concerned about. There's no issue here with, with corruption or whatever. And so Trump shares the photograph and someone, I mean, I, I don't know who it was, created a kind of mashup of the Nickelback song. Look at this photograph. I got a... I'm from Canada and I'm singing a song. Uh, you know what is? I don't know the rest of it. It's only it's the only thing that made me laugh. I'm sorry, I'll stop. I know you guys. People right now are they're deleting the podcast and I can hear the clicks. Um, but it was it was Nickelback mashed up with a photograph of Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and the and the uh, natural gas executive from Ukraine with the song. Look at this photograph and the president. Of these United States tweeted it out. Pretty, pretty amazing. I got to tell you, pretty amazing. Um, It was really funny. Now, Nickelback decided to put out a copyright infringement claim on this because Nickelback has no sense of humor. And so now the good thing is that the entirety of America can go back to hating Nickelback. This is a unifying moment for us, producer Mark. Everyone can be like, Nickelback's the worst. Although I'm going to tell you something right now. You know what's worse than Nickelback? What? Matchbox 20. That's right. I'm going to say it. Are you just a little unwell? 
You like Matchbox 20? No, I, that's just the one reference of a Matchbox 20 song I can make. Oh, I didn't even know that was from a Matchbox yeah. 20 song. That, isn't that their one song on Well? Nah, maybe, I don't know. There, there are a whole bunch of them. I don't know if I've ever been good enough. I'm a little bit rusted. You know, remember that whole thing? Oh, that, yeah, I do know that. Song. Yeah, yeah. I, I swear, people are, I'm, you know what's going to happen? The inbox is going to be full of people saying, Buck, Please do not, stop singing. don't ever sing on the podcast. I look, I, guys, I didn't want to. My hand was forced here. I don't think it was. My hand was forced because I wanted to play the Nickelback, but they, they already pulled the copyright infringement. And this little show is not going to be able to handle the Nickelback legal team. They're going to come to us a bunch of mean Canadian lawyers be like, don't play our song, eh? They might sue for you singing it. Really? Yeah, just because it's so terrible. Oh, yeah. I was gonna say that's parody, my man. The world's that's worst. Prote- that's protected parody. under parody. That's like uh, Weird Al Yankovic level stuff, right there. It might be the listeners that sue for having to hear it. That's probably true. Hmm. Hopefully, they won't start listening to some other inferior conservative podcast. It's a parental advisory for you in this block. I'm going to be quoting from things that the president of the United States has tweeted. So, if you have kids in the room. You might want to mute the television because he used some profanity today. A combative President Trump, increasingly combative, lashing out, claiming he always cooperates, which is not true, as House Democrats prepare to subpoena the White House for the Ukraine scandal. The president also attacking the impeachment inquiry as a hoax, a coup, and even saying that Democrats are focusing on, quote, bull****. (gasps) Jake Tapper, how dare you? Oh, no, not Jake Tapper. He's so proper. Like he starts, oh, if you don't want to hear what's, you know, if you have kids in the room, you might want to have them leave the room because, you know, the president today is from, this is the same network, I might add, that was running around talking about S space hole country. You got to say it that way because otherwise it comes across the wrong way. On some, some other friends of mine in the business have gotten into a little bit of an issue with this because you're trying to refer to You know, we'd say blank hole. How about that? That's better. Because if you say the S and then the other thing, it sounds like you're saying the thing you're not trying to say. See? So I'm I'm a savvy cat, so I'm going to stay away from that. And and yeah, that that wasn't supposed to rhyme. The media is all like, oh my gosh, look what Trump has done. Look what he's up to with this talking about this in a way that normal people talk about things. One of my favorite things about this president, and there are many of them, one of my favorite things is the fact this guy just talks like a normal human being. I really hope if there, if there are some things that we can continue post-Trump, it would be that politicians no longer get to be like, well, I just, uh, I woke up and I was sleeping on a bed of the Constitution and then I went for a walk thinking about the founding fathers and then I figured I would uh, stop and read a little Adam Smith on the wealth of nations and the way that we could perhaps get uh, free trade going in a more robust fashion to elevate mean income. And, you know, how about you speak like a normal person? Wouldn't that be better? I, I, I like guys that actually talk, or, and gals, I just like people who, Communicate the way human beings communicate without all the pretense, without all the nonsense. Uh, certainly try to do a fair bit of that here. But I, I just thought it's funny. The CNN, which, which has had people on its air cursing up a storm, and they love the second, oh, man, the second the president does anything that's a little salty, says anything a little salty, then what you hear is one journo after another just ripping into it with, you know, oh, the president said, the, the president said this, so I'm going to be edgy now and repeat the curse word that the president said. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, it's not really not really that scary. I wish people would just act like 
they've they've been there before. They've seen this before. Um, oh, by the way, looks like the effort to change the law in California didn't work out. Oh no! But I thought that they respected the rule of law so much. These libs. I thought they cared so much about our sacred institutions. And Trump is a threat to our democracy. They say as they try to prevent the democratic process of electing our next leader, uh, next leader for this republic. Um, this is what Trump said about that Gavin Newsom attempt to mess with POTUS. 11, please. Yesterday, as you know, I was sued by the governor, Gavin Newsom. He's another beauty. I was sued by him. He's a do-nothing. Uh, sued by him so that I can't get on the ballot in the state of California. It was a massive story. It was the biggest story, Mr. President. It was headlines all over the place. Trump gets sued by this uh, do-nothing governor in California. It was big. Here's what happened. Yesterday, I won the case, very convincingly. A very tough, smart, highly respected judge, not a Trump person at all, not appointed by Trump, appointed by somebody that you would call the opposition, came out with a scathing and tough opinion. I won the case. I didn't see one story that I won that case. That's right. California tried to change the law and violate the Constitution by saying you can't be on the ballot in California for president unless you show your tax returns. These people change laws statewide just to try and stick a thumb in Trump's eye. And they're the ones who lecture us about respecting our sacred institutions, the rule of law. Uh, they have no shame. But then again, Shifty Schiff will go on TV and say that this whole impeachment is nonpartisan. So they are beyond parody and beyond shame. At the same time, it's quite a thing. I did not mean to skip this story from, uh, I think it was yesterday. So I'm coming back to it now just because it does illustrate something. It does tell us something. Uh, but not really about the president. I think it tells us more about the media. The story was that the uh, that a new, the New York Times, which I, I think has a book coming out on this as well. I mean, the anti-Trump books in 2020 are just, it's going to be, you know, vote against Trump or we're all going to die. I mean, that's the title of pretty much every book. You know, vote against Trump or you like Hitler. I mean, they're just... One of the issues you come up against with these uh, resistance folks is that it's an arms race of crazy. So the more one of them will say Trump is the worst president in the history of presidents and he's horrible and he's terrible and what are we going to do about it? Uh, the more others have to up the ante and say, oh, no, I think Trump is Trump has killed more people than Genghis Khan, which for those of you that have ever listened to uh, hardcore history know or read any books about Mongol history, uh, Genghis Khan killed a lot of people. So I think that would be an exaggeration. But liberals don't seem to think it's an exaggeration because they say crazy things all the time. Although they haven't said, I'm not trying to pull an Adam Schiff. They have not said that uh, he has killed more people than Genghis Khan. Although there are people that, what was it, uh, early in the week, they said he was complicit. Who was it on the Bill Maher show, wasn't it? Someone said that he was uh, an accessory to murder by helping Russia or something. I mean, just crazy talk. But the crazy talk continued because you have Donald Trump uh, issuing a, or, or issuing a denial of this New York Times report. Here's what the report is, my friends. They think, they say, they claim that Donald Trump wanted to have a serious discussion about building a moat, like the old medieval castle moat, you know, around the, around the, uh, 
citadel or the castle or the whatever. Uh, and the moat was to be filled with alligators and snakes. And that there might be spikes put on top of the fence that would impale people. And oh, by the way, maybe Trump also asked, could illegal uh, aliens who are crossing the border, could they be shot in the legs non-lethally to stop them? I have thoughts on this, okay? Trump has already come out and he has said, fake news, just like the snakes and gators in the moat, the media is deranged, they've lost their minds. Uh, so he's saying, and that was in specifically due, Trump asked about shooting migrants crossing the border in the legs. Uh, ABC News, they say here, confirming New York Times reporting. My friends, there are only two possibilities here, really. There are only two ways that this is even a story that we should discuss in, in any context whatsoever. One of them is that this is a rumor that media has seized on because it makes the president seem nuts and they want to make him seem nuts and that's the most important thing to them. And even if the sourcing is flimsy and it is not, oh, there's that word, it's not credible per se, they still want to put it out there because some people will believe it. Just like some people still believe that Kavanaugh was guilty, even though all the evidence is that he's innocent. In that sense, the libs managed what they wanted there. Kavanaugh comes across as the asterisk Supreme Court justice because liberals made these claims they could not substantiate and they could not make stick to him. But there are people who still believe it. They still believe this stuff. All right. So that's one part of it. The other possibility here, and I'm not going to say that I think this is I, I, I think this is unlikely, but I could see it. So I think that this is probably just total, total nonsense. But there's another component of it, maybe. And that is that Trump is a very, uh, he's very freewheeling with the way he speaks about things. And he said, I have, I have interviewed the president. I've talked to him on and off the record. You get this president off the record and he will say things that are edgy, are salty, and he does it in some ways, I think, just because he likes to let loose, but also because that's just the way that he communicates. That's the way that he likes to engage with certain people. He likes to get a, get a rise out of them. He likes to be entertained. I mean, he's the most, most entertaining government official I've ever interviewed by far is Donald Trump. No question. Not even close. I mean, Mike Pence is a great guy, but, you know, Mike Pence, you're interviewing a, a vice president that you would think is the vice president in a movie or something. He's just very vice presidential. Donald Trump, you got a whole other, it's a whole other thing when you're interviewing Donald Trump. So is it possible that he made some passing joke to, and now I know people would say, oh, it's not funny and he's the commander in chief and he shouldn't, but, you know, alligators in a moat. I mean, maybe I could see. And then just the same way we've seen with the whistleblower through the media apparatus of anti-Trump hyperventilation that turned into Trump is going out trying to, you know, eliminate, trying to trying to take out illegal immigrants with snakes and alligators. I mean, no one thinks that snakes and alligators would really be effective, right? That that's a thing that you would want to do. I mean, e even if Trump was this horrible person that they clearly must believe he is, that's not even a that's like a, a cartoon villain bad idea. And it's just not an idea he was ever serious about. If if he said anything about this, it would have been it would have been in jest. And you can determine for yourself whether you think that the 
any kind of joke like that is appropriate or not, but there's just no way. There's just no way that the president of the United States was saying, uh, yeah, I've got an idea. Let's put a, um, oh my gosh, what Napolitano, come on, man. I'm just seeing this on my screen. Trump behavior is criminal and impeachable. Oh, this is, this is frustrating. Look, Judge, I don't know the judge very well. I know him a little bit. I've met him a few times, and he's always, and everyone always says this about him, he's always a gentleman to me, so you know, I, I have nothing personally against Judge Napolitano. He's always been a, a perfect gentleman to me. And that's not true of everybody in the business, including even on the right. And there's some people on the right who are jerks. But man, is he wrong here. Um, he's just wrong. And I think that a lot of this is, I do think a lot of this is personal and, and, you know, it's so personal for some people who hate the president that they can't even separate themselves from that animosity and they're not even really able to be aware of what's driving their decision making, you know, what's driving the uh, realities of their perception of Trump. I saw, for example... You know, George Conway, uh, George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's husband. And I, don't, and I don't like this. I don't like that the media latches on to a, a really a public dispute between a husband and a wife over the president. And they, they like this drama. They stoke this drama, meaning the media. You know, so Conway's written an, art, written an editorial that says Trump is unfit for office. Oh, big surprise. Jake Tapper shared it from his Twitter account because, you know, he's an objective journalist. So you can share a lot of things that say the president is uh, not objective, but that doesn't mean that you think the pre- I mean, sorry the president is not fit for office. But that doesn't mean you're not objective. Oh no, of course not, of course not. Uh, but the judge for me, Judge Napolitano, this is he he is personally agitated with Trump, and that is driving a lot of his legal analysis. And I just find that really troubling. I really do. Um, it's, it's, I should say disappointing more than troubling. It is not criminal. His behavior is not criminal. I've not heard a single valid, serious argument about the whistleblower phone call being uh, rising to the level of criminal activity. You know, it is criminal in my mind. Seizing people's private property, especially when it's constitutionally protected property, like guns. Democrats are threatening to do that. The 94 assault weapons ban, it didn't apply to, to, to weapons that were purchased before 1994. Right. What would you do about the millions of specifically assault weapons right. that are already in circulation? What do you do about those? Well, there are approximately five million to your point, Craig. We have to have a buyback program and I support a mandatory buyback program. It's got to be smart. We got to do it the right way. Um, but. There are 5 million at least, some estimate as many as 10 million. And we're going to have to have smart public policy that's about taking those off the streets, but doing it in the right way. Mandatory buyback. Such an Orwellian term. Democrats have all, the ones who are trying to get a little bit of an edge on the competition, at least in the primary, they are, they are leveraging the left's animosity toward the Second Amendment as best they can. And saying that they're going to have a, a buyback of 10 million guns is just, in, it's just insane. Uh, the, the, the mandatory buyback, what happens when people say no? Are you really going to send law enforcement into people's homes? Are you really going to say, hey, we, we have reason to believe that you bought an AR-15, you know, hand it over? Are you going to arrest them then? Are they felons? 
I'm pretty sure in Connecticut they got rid of uh, what they believe to be about 100,000 assault rifles that would have been banned under a new state Connecticut law. And they were supposed to turn them into local sheriff or police station, whatever it may be in Connecticut. And a very small percentage of people turned them in. What is this mandatory buyback program going to look like? Um, I don't know. Justin Trudeau may be thinking about it, though, up in Canada, because he now wants to ban all assault rifles. In He's like, I am, I am very much uh, trying to rebound from my week of... Um, Everybody thinking that I'm a huge racist, and so uh, I have an idea. Let us uh, ban ban the guns. That is the Trudeau move. Ban the guns. This was also the Harvey Weinstein maneuver, and now it's the desperate Democrats who are not getting traction in the primary maneuver, like Kamala Harris, who was a media darling. I mean, they were all in on all things Kamala until they weren't, or I, I still think they, she's on the cover of Time Magazine, I believe, for either this week or month or whenever Time Magazine. Producer Mark, you check on that? Am I crazy? Am I seeing things? Uh, I'm pretty sure she was. I, I tend to be I tend to be right about the things. So I think she's on the cover of Time Magazine. The media is trying to prop her up and still have a, have a go of it. Because look, if Biden steps, steps, yep, I'm right, Time Magazine, boom, the Buckster always delivers if Biden changes his tune and he actually can handle the heat going forward, then who knows where that 20 some odd percent of the Democrat primary vote is going to go. I think that the belief in some quarters in the media is that that translates to Kamala Harris, that if if Biden steps out, the next electable person would be Kamala Harris. That's what I think I think will happen. Um, but. Who knows? The truth is nobody knows right now. Uh, Who else, by the way, is making noise about how they want to take all the guns? Wasn't somebody? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mandatory buyback. Cory Booker. Another guy the media loves. The voters don't. Uh, Here's what he says about the mandatory buyback. 27. The number one killer for African-American children is gun violence. Protect our families. Protect our communities. If I'm president, I will do that. Mandatory buyback, voluntary buyback. This is another thing that to me is just, again, abs- absurd. Let's start with what we're talking about here. Which we're talking, well, right now we're talking, we're talking about, about assault rifles. That's what I'm saying. Right. I, I want to be clear okay. exactly what we're talking about. Again, the overwhelming majority of Americans, over 75%, does not believe that we should have these weapons of war on our street. So how do you get them off the street? So, so you, you have a mandatory buyback program. Confiscation. This is a, this is Democrats telling you that they're going to come and take your guns. They're telling you repeatedly. They're not hiding it. They're not they're not shading the truth here. They're not trying to hedge their bets. They're just saying, yeah, we're coming for your guns. Now, to uh, Cory Booker's point there about violence against I believe he said violence against African-American children is the number one gun violence is the number one killer. Um, I would be willing to bet that if you were to crunch the numbers on that, ninety nine percent of that violence is from handguns, 99%. Uh, you're talking about people that are either killed in accidents, uh, children that get, you know, that, that find a gun in the home. Uh, you know, it's, it'd be very difficult, for example, for a small child to operate a, a large rifle or shotgun. And, uh, you know, a handgun, it's not, not difficult. And if you're talking about gang violence, gang violence is overwhelmingly committed with handguns. 
Well, well, let's just break down the numbers. All gun violence of all kinds is almost entirely handguns. It's you know ninety seven percent of gun violence comes from handguns. Two to three percent comes from rifles. Now, if you were to break that down even further, say we're talking about gang violence, and you're not you're not discussing say uh, some of the mass shootings that that have happened in recent months, that's going to be handguns too. So here you have a problem that Cory Booker sets up. We have gang violence, killing young kids, which is terrible. But instead of taking a law enforcement approach to deal with the criminals, what he's saying is let's ban something that has effectively nothing to do with the problem, with the violence that I just brought up. Let's get rid of something that is completely extraneous in this discussion because it'll make the left wing base happy and they hate guns and gun owners. That's it. They're, they're, that's when you when you look at this by the numbers and the reality of what's going on. And just so that he can't get beaten from the left here, Joe Biden, who's supposed to be the moderate, but Joe Biden's the whatever you need him to be candidate if you're a Democrat. That's what everyone who's really watching this understands. Whatever Joe Biden has to say, he's going to say. But Joe Biden's out there saying that he wants also to take dramatic, draconian anti-Second Amendment action. He's talking about a federal gun and magazine registry. No more Maxim magazine. No more that naughty stuff. Just kidding. Bad joke. Different magazine. Play 28. In the meantime, go out and eliminate the ability to purchase and or make any more of these assault weapons, period. Now, there's a third thing we do. Under the Firearms Act of 1934, there's a situation where when they outlawed machine guns, they said, okay, you can continue to have the machine gun if you own it, but guess what? You got to let us know you have one. You got to let us know you have one. National Firearms Act. You got it. I want that for all assault weapons. I want that for magazines because that what happens is if we know you have one, the likelihood of that ever being used in a commission of a crime after a voluntary buyback is highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. That's a lie, by the way. First of all, the people that have them wouldn't register them. A lot of people wouldn't. Anybody that had any ill intent would certainly never register one. So what is he even talking about? Well, what he's talking about is establishing the basis for a nationwide assault rifle registry. And then they really would know exactly who has it. And they're going to say, oh, no, we just need to know you have it. We're not going to do it. Well, you got one politician here saying we just need to know you have it. You got a bunch of other Democrat politicians who are saying, oh, no, we're going to take it from you. Which is it? Well, this is why we can't trust them, because they keep moving the target around. We don't know what the, well, no, I uh, scratched that. We do know what they want, which is they want to ban these weapons entirely and get them out of, uh, out of legal, lawful gun owners' hands. That's the other part of this. If you look at the numbers with, with people who own rifles, if 97% of all gun violence is handgun-based, what percentage of, of individuals in America who own a long gun of any kind use that long gun in any sort of crime? It's going to be a, a, a tiny fraction of 1%, a tiny fraction of it. It's not below 1%, I'm saying. It's not even going to be uh, something that you'd be able to easily plot on a graph. But they still pretend like this is a way to save lives and end gun violence. And unfortunately, there's 
just no sense of good faith from Democrats on this at all, especially because it's an election year. So we should just not seed ground, not give an inch. That should be our approach. Team, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a a sad story, but one that at least adds at the end a a moment of hope. Uh, doesn't I would certainly not call it a happy ending. It's a tragedy. Uh, the whole situation across the board is a tragedy, but there's a moment of hope that is offered up at the end. It has to do with former police officer in Dallas, Amber Geiger. She was just sentenced yesterday to 10 years in prison for the killing of an innocent man. Now, she shot him when she entered his apartment, which was the same layout of apartment in terms of where it is on the on the floor, but a different floor. She went into what she thought was her apartment. She's a police officer. She saw a guy sitting on her couch. She thought he was robbing her. This was this was her story for the for the judge and jury. And so she drew her firearm and she killed him. Uh, shot him on the couch. And she had inadvertently, and it, it does the story at least seems plausible to me. I don't I don't see why this would not have been. I, I do not believe that she decided to just randomly walk into uh, some stranger's apartment and shoot him just because. Uh, she looks like a terrible error, a terrible mistake that she made, and one that she does have to pay a price for. Um, but she went in thinking that it was her apartment. She shot him, and uh, she just got 10 years in prison over this. Uh, she's eligible for parole in five years, but she's going to prison in the state of Texas. Now... Okay, it's. I will tell you, I've actually done the same thing in my. Obviously, not with a firearm, and no one was hurt. But I mean, I've gone to the wrong floor and gone to open a door, thinking it was my door. Especially in hotels, which you're not used to the layout, it can happen. Uh, so I've done that before. I've never been carrying a firearm and gone into someone else's apartment and drew down on them. Uh, but so that part of the story I can find credible. Unfortunately, the individual's door was ajar, a little bit unlocked. And so she went in and that, she said, was part of why she thought there was a burglary in, in progress. Now, why she, when she had a firearm and this guy posed no threat to her, why she felt the need to shoot, especially as a trained member, she's law enforcement, she's a cop, to shoot instead of making an arrest strikes me as very, uh, very problematic here, which is probably why she went to prison for 10 years or is going to prison for up to 10 years. But there was a moment of incredible mercy and grace in the courtroom yesterday. The brother of the man who was shot uh, decided uh, uh, that Brant Jean, I believe is his name, he took the witness stand in the court. Remember, this is he's talking about the woman, Botham Jean is the man who was shot. His brother, Brant Jean, Took the uh, took the stand, and here is what he said in front of the court, and now in front of the whole country. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because. I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. That's 
I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Wow. This young man lost his brother in what was a, a terrible accident, but an involuntary manslaughter, really. And the woman who killed his brother, uh, he wants to give her the message that she should give her life to Christ, that he loves her as a person, and that he wants to give her a hug before she is taken into custody and, ser- and begins serving a, uh, a lengthy sentence for homicide. Surprised a lot of people seeing this happen. We feel these days, I think, uh, many of us feel that we live in a society where grace and forgiveness are in short supply. And we often get caught up in political tribalism, religious factions, arguing with one another, tearing one another down. I think far too many people root for the failures of their fellow human beings in this country and anywhere else. Take too much pleasure in seeing people brought low. And also feel very comfortable demanding vengeance in place of any kind of forgiveness. Well, the brother of Botham Jean here uh, gave everybody, I think, a lesson in what is possible. And I think that it's something that I hope people remember going forward in their own lives because it was it was powerful watching this play out. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. It is... It is time for Roll Call. The Optimus Prime sounding voice there uh, is correct. It is Roll Call time. If you want to be a part of this part of the show, it wasn't the most eloquent way of saying that, you can write to us at facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, or you could also email us at teambuck at iheartmedia.com. Those are your options. So very exciting stuff if you would like to get in on the Facebook roll call or or email action. Producer Mark, make sure that we, we mix it up. But we're going to do a little bit of Facebook right now. How do how bad do things have to get, Wade writes? How far along the road of detriment do we travel until the protectors of our life, uh, our way of life, our military, can step in to remove these lying, delusional Congress people from power? Well, my friend, I think that you're going to. You're going to be waiting a long time before anything like that happens. Because if that does have to happen, it's a very, very bad day for this country. And we're, we're not there yet. I'm here to tell you, Wade, it's going to be okay. Other shows tell you, the country's going to hell. I'm going to tell you it's going to be okay. we got to fight. we got to keep an eye on things. But I, I think that uh, 
part of the American spirit is optimism. You got to be an optimist. Rory writes, Buck, it's a wee bit of concern regarding free college for medical students. Does this mean healthcare costs will be lowered? Does that factor in the Dems grand plan to destabilize the U.S. and have us rely on the government shields high? Rory. Uh, Rory. Hmm. Hell. Yeah. I, that, you know, it's interesting. I don't know what the plan is for medical school. I think most people gen, uh, graduate from medical school with debt somewhere in the neighborhood of I think it's uh, close to half a million dollars. I think it's three or four hundred thousand dollars of medical school debt. So I think that's that's a real thing. Uh, that what does that mean now? Would your medical school be paid for? And if the government in a Bernie Sanders plan, for example, is going to take over health care, does that mean does that mean that doctors won't be able to make as much money? Because it probably does mean that. So who's going to want to go and take on four hundred thousand dollars of loans in order to make very little money and not be able to pay back those loans? Well, now you say, Buck, oh, we'll make medical school free. Really? So now everyone's graduate degrees are free, too. This is going to be even more expensive than anybody could have anticipated. Uh, and it's not free. And a lot of you are going to yell at me or send me emails saying, it's not free, the taxpayer. I know, but no cost to the individual, cost to the society. That's the basic promise. That's what they will be, uh, that's what they will be saying. Kristen uh, writes, I thought that your Scottish accent was fat bastard. Didn't he sing that song in the second Austin Powers movie? I know I've heard it. I've never seen So I Married an Axe Murderer. Great job, though. No, Kristen, so I, I used to celebrate Mike, Mike Myers' whole catalog, so I know some of this stuff. He is the dad, the Scottish dad of Mike Myers in So I Married an Axe Murderer, but he does the exact same accent in So I Married an Axe Murderer as the Scottish dad as he then does in a fat suit when he's playing Fat Bastard. I did think he sang that song, though. Oh, he sings that song in Austin Powers, you I mean? I think so. He sing, think, sings something close to it. I mean, bastard. I, I can believe that. Yeah. He definitely does this thing at the wedding in So I Married an Axe Murderer where there's bagpipes being played, and he's like, hey, we've got a piper down, we've got a piper down, you know? I don't know. You haven't seen it, Producer Mark. You got homework, man. You got to go see this movie. Yeah, that's what I need to be doing in my free time. Yeah. Uh, you got a wedding in like a few weeks. You got a lot of other things you got to do. I can officially say next month. Hey, mini mini crab cakes. You guys going to do it? Uh, you don't want to know about the wedding of this, uh, the, the menu of this wedding. Why? Well, uh, it's a kosher what? dairy. Kosher non-dairy? No, kosher dairy. What is kosher like, dairy? You, know how you can't have milk and meat together. Yeah. So we're only doing milk. That means fish, pasta, no meat. Huh. Basically a vegetarian wedding. I am unhappy about it, but uh, I'm not paying for it. So. Wow. Hey, uh, you know, it's a religious thing. I, I'm, I'm just, I just was thinking you are going to be, no brisket? No. Oh, my gosh. Kosher meat is a lot more expensive than just doing it the other way. I know. I've been and told. then we'd have no cake. Well, you got to have cake. Exactly. Yeah, cake's going to be delicious. But I always go to a wedding and I can't eat. I'm the loser who can't eat the cake because of celiac disease. It's never fun. Oh, that's true. Yeah. All right. Let's see what we got here next. Uh, Jay writes, Buck, I really enjoy your show. Um, I have to admit, the first time I saw you on Fox News, I thought you were one of President Trump's sons. Please keep up the good work. Uh, all right. Thank you. Appreciate that. I'll take the vote of support. I think the sons are... Sons are handsome guys, the strapping young lads. 
They're, uh, they're lads. Hey, they're handsome young lads. Uh, so I'll take that. They got good hair. Here we go. Brass. Buck, is there any scenario that puts the military stepping in to stop the coup? Well, that's another question about this coup. Guys, there's not going to be a coup. Uh, I mean, when you say, is there any scenario? I mean, yeah, there's always a scenario for everything, but I, I don't think you need to worry about that. That's not going to happen. Look, Trump's Trump's going to win re-election. It's going to be fine. Like I said, I'm an optimist. Trump's going to win. Still get fired up, though. You got to get out there and and you've got to do what you can to make sure that the libs aren't able to just have their way with the narrative. But we'll see. Um, let's see what else we've got here. Uh, next up. Um, Dave, right? So funny. This is going to be an amazing year of politics. Oh, yeah. Dave sent me the, the look at this photograph. I see. I, I went through it quickly that time because I didn't want you guys to have to listen to me singing again. Every time I look, you. it makes me laugh. I, see, you're, we you're make see we make fun of Nickelback, but then we take every opportunity to do Nickelback here on the show. Well, we make fun of Nickelback so we can make fun of you. Well, that's true too. Yeah, yeah. I probably should admit this, but I shared uh, some Spotify playlists with my little sister, and I just I just got a text from her. She was just like, "Workout playlist, comma, T Swift." Really? Question mark. <laughs> was this your own personal Spotify playlist? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look. I just search workout on Spotify and it comes up with good stuff. Well, that's that's probably a better way to do it. No, I have a whole curated workout playlist. Oh. But little, little, little sis little sis picked up on the fact that there was some T-Swift on the there. The fact that your sister is making fun of you for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, was there, was there an Ariana Grande song? I can neither confirm nor deny. Sounds like you have the musical taste of my future wife. Yeah, there we go. I could DJ your wedding. Perfect. You guys have to bring in special food for me, though. What? Uh, we'll have a gluten-free option. Oh, there we, we go. Okay. As long as you got some gluten-free. Um, all right, let's get into this roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck And Mike writes, the Dems are just throwing gas on the fire. They're way out of their league. Barr, Pompeo, and Durham are going to expose them for who they are. It's all coming out. I bet you Comey, Brennan, and the rest are deep state participants uh, and the rest of the deep state participants are as nervous as a prostitute in church. Shields high. Oh, well, Mike, some of them, I think, probably realize that they may have an issue on their hands here, but uh, I would not overestimate the, the conscience of these deep state libs and assume that they really are that worried about things because, they look, the, the establishment is still very powerful. It's still very strong. All right, let's get into the emails now because I'd like to switch it up. This is from... Diane, and it comes into teambuck at iheartmedia.com. Hey, Buck, I heard this morning the House committees that are conducting the impeachment inquiry have declared that the Republican members won't be allowed to attend the hearings, much less ask any questions of the witnesses. I thought they said this was not political. How can they say it is a bipartisan inquiry? Uh, how can they, uh, Surely the Republicans won't sit still for this. I'm boiling mad. They're trying to railroad our president. And they know there are Republicans on the committees who will shoot holes in their flimsy story. They must not get away with this. Shields High, thank you for being a one of the voices of reason. Uh, well, thank you, Diane. Um, yeah, look, it's all, it's all going to be a big partisan mess. There's not going to be any effort at bipartisanship here. It's just not going to happen. So we might as well be prepared for that. And yeah, uh, Get ready for it. I don't know what else to tell you. The Democrats have no interest. Not, no Republicans are going to go along with them. And this is also just going to make things more damaged uh, politically, especially if Trump becomes president. The Democrats keep exacerbating what divides us and then turn around saying, why are we so divided? James, 
Hey, Bach, I'm hearing that people getting sick and dying from vaping are doing so after you using black market THC products. I'm a millennial conservative turned libertarian and can't understand why we haven't legalized marijuana federally yet. Get people out of the shadows and open a pathway for safer products from James. Uh, James, I'm in favor of legalizing marijuana. That does not mean I advocate the smoking of marijuana, but I am in favor of legalizing it. Um, that said, at the federal level, I just think there's a there's a big hesitation to do this because we've been fighting the war on drugs for a long time, and uh, they don't want to they don't want to change this. I, I can't really think of and people that are going to argue that marijuana is more dangerous or, or is, is so dangerous that it has to be regulated as a schedule one drug. I just don't see that argument. I don't think that that's, I don't think it's true. I don't think it's accurate. Um, when is it going to go nationwide? Uh, when is it going to go legal nationwide? That's a good question. I got to think about that. Um, might not be for a while. We have this state by state process that's playing out right now. So we shall have to see. Uh, Sherry, short and sweet in the subject line, love the podcast. Well, Sherry, thank you so much. Please do share the podcast with as many people as you can. iTunes, uh, Stitcher, what's the other? Spotify, iHeart app. I was about to say your company. My company, iHeart app, yes. Anywhere where fine podcasts are listened to, you can listen to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm hoping you guys all enjoy that we get the show out earlier now. So we are in your drive time. We are in your feed early on. That means that it's a great way to, or it's a great conversation starter. Hey, you know the Buck Sexton Show is early now? Tell somebody. Get them to listen. It's a show that they will enjoy, as will be tomorrow's show, which you will hopefully enjoy. Until then, Shields High.